Where is it? It's coming. It's coming where? Home. What is? A football's coming home. Hey, Tom, I went to Columbus. Didn't come back with the jersey. Sorry, man. Hi gang, it's Week in the Tackle, everyone's favourite podcast, or as Rodney Mars called it on this week's Grumpy Pundits on Sirius XMFC, Week in the Podcast. So I'm glad we paid him for that plug on the show. Uh, I'm sure he's a big fan, he's listening right now, he'll get one of the grandkids saying what the podcast is and what a phone is and electricity and that sort of stuff, and hopefully he'll listen to this week's programme. Um, Dunny, there's so much to get through this week. Brian Dunn said, Tom yeah. Rennie with you, you know the score folks. Um, and I, I want to talk about England, obviously, because it is an incredible story. It genuinely is an incredible story that they've made another semi-final of a major tournament, considering I have been raised on the concept of national failure. Um, before we get to all that, though, speaking of complete failures, yeah, I want to speak to you about your visit to the new Crew Stadium. I've seen some of the videos. It looked amazing. Uh, and thanks to a, a load of people got in touch, actually, with me on Twitter to say, a, would you like this shirt they're wearing? And B, people said, I've got this seat next to you. Like, whenever you want to visit, like, it's been super cool that the people yeah. that have, for some reason, embraced me. Uh, I don't know why it's happening, but I'm enjoying it. But you were there. You were there for yeah. the first ever game at the brand new stadium for Columbus Crew. Um, on the pitch, I'm sure getting a lovely warm ovation from a few people. And you look very fresh as well. Was it a good journey? Uh, no, it was a terrible journey, Rennie. Absolutely horrific. And I was so excited. For those that don't know, here's the quick backstory. 1999, I was playing with the New England Revolution. I was in the starting 11 against the Columbus crew as Major League Soccer opened up its first soccer-specific stadium at the historic crew stadium. Uh, I can remember flying in on the airplane next to my man, Teddy Kronopoulos. It was probably a Southwest flight. And as we were looking over, we saw this, this erector set of a stadium. And Tom, the first thing I thought of is we've made it. MLS mm. is here. We're not playing in these cavernous football stadiums, uh, a giant stadium where the artificial surface felt like you were playing in a parking lot. No, we weren't in Dragon Stadium, which was uh, a, a black artificial surface high school football stadium. No, we were in historic crew stadium and Lamar Hunt put his money where his mouth is. And it was probably 28 million spent on the day. And we were going to open this up. MLS had made it fast forward to this weekend and Columbus opening lower.com field spent 314 million on this stadium. And Tom, it is mm. exquisite. It is ex incredible. It is extraordinary. It is all the E's and I's that I could think of. And it was three words. It, it was unbelievable. The training facility, the new training facility, which costs $30 million, is actually attached to the old historic crew stadium. And $30 million is more than $28 million. So you can understand the bells and whistles that are in this stadium. Now, back, quick background. Dee and Jimmy Haslam are the owners of uh, the Cleveland Browns. So when you are talking about the, the spatial awareness of NFL owners and what they want to give to the players, hmm. it, it, they, didn't, they didn't spare any expense. It's basically, I would say, about a third of what an NFL training facility would look like, obviously because the size of the players are a little bit different. And, yes. the size and of there's the less players. We haven't yes. got like and nine teams. Yep. Oh, yep. we've got the ball. Change the team. Oh, yep. we're kicking. Change yep. the team. <laughs> now get the other kicker. Is there another kicker? 
Can we get back on the subject? No, let's get back on something more interesting because yeah. you're talking to us about really important things about how lovely the stadium well, so is. I want to tell you about my trip. That. Something happened. But before These... you do that, though, can I ask yeah. you a question about something about the, you being there? Yeah, give it to me. So, you know, there's, I saw a great video of the Nashville Moses playing the guitar this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And also there's the famous uh, Portland Joey who does Timber the- Joey. He's Timber got, Joey, yeah, thank you. He's got a chainsaw you. and he, ch- he does he the chainsaw of the thing. Of yeah, log. But yeah. crew are doing three people yeah. who are dressed as the original three blokes on the first kind of yeah. crest. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And they're the hard drilling. Hat. Did you see them drill? So there is a new tradition that they started at lower.com field, which is there are three people in the crew hard hats, which is the original crew logo. We're on phase three of the logo. And yes, they are basically drilling a piece of uh, brick and they're going to engrave it. And then they're going to take that engraved brick. And from what I was told, they're still trying to finalize what they're going to do, but they're going to actually like put it on the wall as so as the visiting teams walk through, you can see like the goals that were scored and the date and all of that. So mm. the two I love goals- it. I think it's super yeah. cool. It's different. This, this is it. Over here, people kind of look, sometimes we look at American soccer and the teams and you're like, oh, that's a bit mad. Why are they doing that? Mm. But also you've seen this whole thing where so many new teams try and be European. Yeah. You've got to keep what American Lean soccer culture it. is. That is the madness. That yeah. is insane, yeah. but brilliant. It's Lean insane, it. but brilliant. I love it. So- and you got to, when you think about these teams, you know, Real this, Sporting that, you know, blah, 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 fair enough. But really, it's names like Wizards and Crew and yeah. Insaniacs. New England Revolution. Speaking of July 4th, you took an L yes. yesterday. So, and every time yeah. they score a goal, they drink a tea and throw it over <laughs> the lake. <laughs> That's what you want. <laughs> Hands over with tea it. and everyone chucks it. <laughs> yes. uh, so I got to tell you this quick story. Yes. I, I, I'm flying to Columbus. I leave in the afternoon. It's difficult to get to Columbus. You got to connect through like Minneapolis or Detroit, or you got to go all the way to Atlanta. Getting to Columbus is a nightmare. Right. So as I get on the plane, it's an afternoon flight. I already have like 45 minutes to get to my connection in Minneapolis. You've never been through Minneapolis. It's massive. It's massive. And the worst thing that happens is if you come in on one side of the airport, it's like a 15-minute walk to the other side of the airport. So I, I'm, I'm already thinking about that in the back of my mind. I get on the plane. I'm like, I'm going to take a little nap. I got three kids. I, I can <laughs> sleep on a plane like nobody's business. Turn my music on. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we're uh, having a little bit of a tire issue. We're going to sort this out. Get on our way. I'm like, oh, is that whatever. the music? Is that the intro to the song? What's no. the song? The new album by Sugar Ray. No, I actually play back. Change my wheelies. Change, change my wheelies. You're my aeroplane. <laughs> Wheelie, wingy. You, I, I would love to live with rent free inside of your head for like 15 minutes just to see <laughs> what's happening inside of that thing. I'm actually so, doing the solo in my head right now. It's such a. <laughs> so, so I fall asleep. I'm like Nashville sudden, Moses. I Carry can on. feel. I can feel the plane moving. I can, you know, like in the back of your mind, like when you're sleeping and you're on an airplane, you can feel yeah. like you kind of understand what's happening, even though you're that's asleep. just the engine struggling. So yeah, <laughs> so we get I all of a sudden it's like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna have to pull back into the gate. And everyone's like, ah, and so come that's my when baby, I wake up. come, come, my baby, back into so the gate. I get to the gate. I'm like, look around. Baby. I ask the guy next to me. I'm like, what's going on? And sure enough, we got one of these ladies takes off her mask and oh, refuses no. to put it back on. Oh, no. Well, she I really cannot hideous. wrap my head around these numpties that mm. are buying these tickets for these airplanes and getting on these airplanes, spending the money, and then 
standing up for their rights that I ain't got to wear a mask. Mm. Two guys come off. Three guys come on. Lady walks off. No mask. Sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. And I lost it. I'm like, no, you're not sorry. You're just asshole. That's it. You said that to her. Yes, I said that to everybody. I said, no, you're not sorry. You're just an asshole. Did you have your mask on so you could pretend it was someone else? No, I know. You're an Sorry, Tim. Tim's going to have to beep all of this. It, it, it was infuriating. It's yeah. infuriating. So that then annoying. what happens? Guess what? That 45 minutes I've got in between, I look at my arrival time, boarding, or boarding, 10.15, departure, 10.55. Here Ugh. in the States, they close Ugh. the gates. They close the gates with 10 minutes. Guess what time I landed? 10.36. By the time I got off the plane, 10.42, Tom Rennie, I had a roller bag and a backpack on, and I am sprinting from F-15 to C-5, and it is a 15-minute walk, and I see the golf cart guy. I see the golf cart guy who's in the middle of doing a U-turn in the middle of, of the F concourse. Jump on it. I said, my man. You got to get me to C5. And he looked you at me never and he said, said, my man. I There's swear no on way. my life, my he jumped man. on the back of the buggy and said, I, my no, man. I jumped, I jumped in the passenger seat. He was in the middle of a U-turn. I was like, my man, you are getting me to C5. I appreciate you. I cannot miss this flight. There's no other flights out. I won't even land until 3 o'clock tomorrow. I need your help. And he looked at me and he said, okay, let's do this. My he man, turned, I appreciate you, is probably the most American thing I've ever heard anybody say. It, My I, man, I appreciate a, you. It was Minneapolis. You got to do what yes. you got to do when you're yeah. in Minnesota. So we were, we were going and we were cruising. We were going down the concourse, flying, and then slowing down a little too often for my liking. But I was the guy going, excuse us, coming through on your left. I appreciate you. Right. <laughs> and he's, I was like, go, you're clear, you're clear. And he's like, I can't hit anybody. And I was like, I won't let you hit anybody. This is like Die Hard. In a minute, you're going to tell me he killed a kid, aren't you? It it was Die Hard in a golf cart in the Minnesota airport. Terminal. Now I know what a TV dinner feels like. (laughs) Tom Rennie, we basically pulled up and we did like a Brody. The back wheels started sliding on that carpet. (laughs) I jumped off. I gave him a pound. I said, I appreciate you. A pound? Yeah, like bones. Not even usable currency? No, no, not, not in the world. Oh, you mean like a a fist bump sort of thing? All right, okay. I thought you meant like a pound coin. It was weird, but yours makes more sense. Yeah, it was more valuable than a pound. Um, Here's a euro. Take this euro. I've got an old Deutschmark here from the 30s. (laughs) Thanks for your help. I appreciate you. Anyways, finish it up. Last man on the plane. Close the doors. Sit in. Not even sweating. And I made it to Columbus at 11 o'clock at night. Amazing. Columbus was so excited. My Uber driver, Timothy, gave me a ride. To my hotel, insisted we drive past the new stadium, 1130 at night. Then I walked into the to uh, to my hotel room and Tiffany at the front desk said, Tony, here we go. Here we go. I was like, oh, God, he's like, what's, what's the story? What's the story? Huge crew fan just got back from Austin to the new stadium down there, traveling with crew supporters. Uh, it, it was it, it was so much fun, man. It's such a great city. I love it. I've this, this was so interesting, and it wasn't meant to be the start of the program, but it's all we wanted to talk about at the start of the show. I know there's big things happening, but this is the only thing that our listeners wanted us to talk about today. And the other big question that we must ask: Did you get me shirt? Who oh, did you speak to? Yeah. Did you find me this Columbus Crew shirt? Uh, I I uh, I'm a really bad friend. Yes. 
But this, this, this we know anyway, after what Tiffany told us. Well, what, what, what we're confirming here on the show is I totally forgot about you, Rennie. Oh, man. I'm so excited. I, I, I got to be honest with you. Friday, I toured the new training facility. I saw the locker rooms. They have You could have beds. picked me up like an they old have... training shirt at the training facility. You could have got they something with a wash bag. Tech ball. They were pay- playing tech ball on the way in from training I'd have taken sessions. Bradley Wright Phillips' old jock strap I, I with was the new logo on Bradley. it. I was hanging out with Bradley. Brad, 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 uh, Bradley and I have spent some time over the years together. They have, they have, it's not even catered meals, Tom. They have a, a chef for the team where the food, like I got to eat like I was a player. The last time I was in Columbus eating as a player, we had an espresso machine and we were lucky if anybody stopped to grab bagels. These guys, when you walk in the training facility, you've got your supplements, you've got your post recovery shake that's already made for you. It's just right there. You grab your, your stuff. Then you go in and the food is extraordinary. And then we watched, we were watching Euros hanging out um, and then went back and met with Bruce Arena and the New England Revolution and went to the stadium. I did, oh, did a tour of the stadium. For ESPN, the, did you go in the in. gift shop? Yeah, and I forgot. Yeah, about you. <laughs> yeah, you went in the gift <laughs> shop, did you? I did. Yeah, they were personalizing stuff. They were personalizing shirts That's there, were cool. they? I should say, just for for clarity, they are trying to send me something. I don't know what what's happening. It's a you UPS don't want to pay. Thing, so you don't want to pay. That's you know, they've sent me really a pay. Yeah, but I mean, I shouldn't have to pay. It's a gift. <laughs> um, but they did send me. I want to show you this. They sent me a picture of what it's going to look like, but I still why, haven't why? received it. It's literally got my name and number on it. Yeah. And it's still not here. And you were in a room with hundreds of them and you still didn't sort me out. So cheers, mate. It totally slipped my mind. I hear that uh, Jason Davis is in the vicinity as well. So two serious XMFC presenters were there or around the stadium. Yeah. And no one thought to hook a brother J- up. Jason was there as a fan. If you're going to put this on anybody, put it on Jason Davis. But we I haven't got busy. a podcast together. He refused I, to work with I, me. I, I had ESPN responsibilities for the weekend. Yes. This was a huge blowout game coming off the backside of it's coming home. I, I feel like it's coming home. Have you not heard the song? Na, 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 it's coming home. Brendan Rogers performs a jazz version of it's coming home. <laughs> it sounds more like a Rihanna song every time I hear it coming home. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was. Yeah, off Rihanna's new album, It's Brendan Coming Rogers, Home. The Sensible Rogers remix. All right, that's enough, Columbus. Let's talk about it coming home because it, it might actually be coming home. Let's talk about it coming home a bit because, like, firstly, don't get the ump about it's coming home. Listen to the lyrics of the song from 1996. You'll realize it is a story of the tragedy of English football, the, the non stop, endless tragedy and missteps and glorious failures of English football. Um, and the fact it's called It's Coming Home originally is because it was coming home because we were hosting the European Championships in 1996. So don't get the ump. Um, it's a great song, and it's not about England being arrogant. It's about England being useless, but also we originated the game because the first rules were written in England. So turn it in. Also, so, great song. Hold on. Hold on. Yes. Repeat what you just said. It's not yes. about us being arrogant. It's about no. us being gloriously useless, a glorious <laughs> failure. But and then you followed it up with what was that final comment? That the, the first association rules of football were written in England in 1878 <laughs> by the Football Association. So you're uh, you basically you're owed this is what you're trying to tell no, us. No, no, I'm just again. saying the song itself oh, isn't okay. like people get the ump about it. Other countries yeah. like oh they're so arrogant England. They keep saying it's coming home and it's like yeah. well you know learn the lingo yeah learn we the lingo wrote, you must. We wrote the rules. We wrote Jacko. the rules and we wrote a song and it's about us being crap. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, but look, let me let me talk to you about this because a lot of our American listeners, I know we have listeners in England and around the world as well. They will struggle, I think, to comprehend what it would mean for England to win the European Championships. And right now they are favourites to win it. And I think objectively, rightly favourites to win it. Um, and we can absolutely discuss that. And we will across the programme. We'll talk Italy and Spain and, and, and Denmark later, of course. But looking at the quality of the teams, the way they played, all of that, objectively, in my opinion, as a football journalist, that England should be and are quite rightly favourites to win it at this point, plus the home advantage on top of that with, with 40 or 50,000 fans in the two games if they get both of them. But English national football has been built on the concept of failure. And the entire lifetime that I've had watching England, following England, um, you know, Gary Lineker presents the TV over here and he talks about his entire career every tournament he's been at as a player or a pundit or a host for nigh on 40 years. And they've failed every time in some sort of glorious haphazard nonsense way. This is a team and a nation that had a golden generation mm. that's so much better than anything Belgium had put together. I looked at the team the other day that were eliminated by Portugal in the Euros in 2004. And it's Paul Scholes, David Beckham, Frank Lampard, Michael Owen, Wayne Rooney, John Terry, Jamie Carragher, Ashley Cole, yeah. um, Gary Neville, and I think the keeper might still have been David Seaman or it could be someone else. But anyway, a quality keeper replaced him. Might have been David Jaith, I'm not sure. But like ludicrous team, and they did nothing. Yeah. They did nothing. And maybe that team then, that time, you could say they were too arrogant. There's lots of stories about how much there was clicks in the dressing room. They hated each other. They wouldn't work with each other. And that led to this incredible downfall. Let's forget all that for the moment and come, come to 2021. You tell me any of these players in this squad right now you could dislike. And you could go through them from their charitable work, you know, yeah. what Marcus yeah. Rashford has done, yeah. um, the, the Jack Grealish story, you know, and, and, and his personal tragedy and his personal issues. And they've, and they've come to the fore at this point. The fact you've got players that play for Leeds and West Ham and, and Arsenal and, you know, a bunch of middling teams in the Premier League, not title winners. You know, you've got a bunch of mid-table team, Jordan Pickford, Everton, you know, Tyrone Mings, Aston Villa. Um, they have they've molded a team together from different clubs, from different parts of the world, different parts of the country, sorry, from Sunderland, from London, from Newcastle, from everywhere. And you put that together with the way they've grown in this tournament. The way England have played in this tournament is the way that, like, Germany usually play. Like, yeah, they weren't great in the groups, but did they lose? Yeah. No. They did they win fine. the group? Yeah. Did they beat a good team in the knockout stage? Yeah. yeah. Did they then go away and win as favourites? Yeah, massively, in fact. They didn't just beat Ukraine, they annihilated Ukraine. Like, the only reason it was only 4-0 is because when the fourth went in, he changed half the team. He got to rest Kane and Rice and Phillips and everybody. You know, there is a lot of reason to think they are going to win this tournament. And I think England in my lifetime have been such a joke nationally, like such a joke to hire, to be England, a population of 50 million. You've got to look at population size in these things to have hired a Swedish coach was an embarrassment across Europe in Sven Goran Eriksson. We were quite rightly um, as a nation ridiculed by other nations for doing it. Germany wouldn't do that. You know, the, the proper nations would never do that. France would never do that. We did it. And then we tried to hire Fabio Capello, which is a monumental failure because he never understood the culture of English football. Gareth Southgate, it's an incredible appointment, this. And it's happenstance and circumstance that got him there. Uh, but he's done 10 years at various positions in English football from 
working with youth development, working with the under-21s, working with some of these players seven or eight years ago as under-21 manager, turning down the job first time when Hodgson left because he never felt worthy of the job. Uh, and, you know, the way he speaks, the way he carries himself is all great, but then you've got to deliver on the field. And I said to you a couple of weeks ago, and I do stand by this, if they'd have lost to Germany, I think you should have offered his resignation because it would have been a Capello bad tournament. But you know what? Things change with wins, guys. Things change with incredible performances. And, the, the, and those knockout performances change things. It was Ukraine. What no, and Germany, and Germany, and Germany. It was Ukraine. And Germany. Hold on. Even after you beat Germany, you still weren't sure if it was coming home. It's no, but I was at, I was sure home. after that it's game that Gareth Southgate home. should stay. And I did start last week's show with it's coming home. I'll have you know. <laughs> well, because this is what. Do you not this even is, listen to this podcast? This is what. Uh, no, I'm, I'm Rodney Marsh. <laughs> week in the week podcast. In the podcast <laughs> week with in the with podcast. Modney Rush. <laughs> you guys. And this is a broad stroke. You English fans, you, you little nuggets, you. You look at you here. already dismissing the central premise already. Listen, you guys they are won, out here. They won incredibly well. Give him the sack. How could he play three in the back? Oh, my gosh. How could he leave out Jack Grealish? And by the way, great group of players. I love how you left out like Kyle Walker, Jack Grealish, um, you know, breaking lockdown COVID rules. I love how you, you dismissed Phil Foden, Agent Iceland sneaking you're going girls back in. A year. You're going back a year oh, to oh, a I'm man sorry. who made a mistake. Oh, yeah. I'm All sorry. Brian, Brian Dunny, I never made a mistake. Dunseth, do uh, talk, talk to us more well, about Tiffany. Maybe a little bit different. I never got caught sneaking girls into the national team camp during a... <laughs> yes, and, a they paid, and he life. paid penance, right? He paid penance. Right <laughs> now, the, at this time... Right by the way, time, what was the penance? He didn't get to play for the national team? Yeah, what oh, else are they going to do? Oh, I was just wondering. What's the other punishment you have apart from I not playing for your country? You, you, it, listen, this, these are your rules, man. You guys made the game up. I'm just under, trying to understand you, what the and, rules were. Well, you, you don't bring out Moses with a banner oh, playing okay. a Gibson guitar, mate, right? Well, we got a proper football so, culture over here. Sometimes you got to have the robe. The robe's got to be, robe's gotta throw, be available. Oh, throw it to somebody. Oh, he didn't touch the ball for 10 years of his career. Oh, Here's okay. $40 million. So, so you guys like your players now, right? You guys like, you guys no, are I think, I think that, no, I think, no, I mean, I think Jayden there's a Sancho lot of signs with it. Manchester United. Start them at the weekend against, against yeah, but, yeah, but again, Ukraine. again, this is the point with Gareth Southgate and what he's been able to do that other nations haven't been able to do, which again is why I make them favorites to win against Denmark, despite yeah. how good they've been, is that who else could not play Jaden Sancho for five games Yeah, and, and then bring him in and then they'll bring someone else in and they'll take, you know, the depth of squad is there and it's been managed well. And it goes back to that, you know, you talk about that World Cup run and in the World Cup run to the semifinals, which, you know, again, incredible. England have done two semifinals in a row in two major tournaments because we are a nation of abject failure. You know, we still, as many would have seen, we talk about Euro 96 like it was, like we won it. We <laughs> failed miserably. And there was no last 16 then. And we glorify it. You know, I've got the, the shirt behind me still. Mm. You know, the 66 shirt, you know, and all that. And, you know, it helps when you, we only win things when we play at Wembley, but that happens to everybody. And it's all built on, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. We'll find a way to lose. We'll lose on penalties. This team won on penalties against Colombia in the last World Cup. They learn lessons from the last World Cup and you can see the fruition of those lessons learned. And, you know, some coaches aren't cut out for, you know, genuinely, some coaches aren't cut out for club football the day in, day out. But to have learned the lessons of that last World Cup and to go on to beat Germany, and you can say it was only Ukraine, 
And, you know, they're, well, they rank 30th in the world or something, and that's fine. They were favourites to win it. But I've seen England lose many a game when they were favourites and they did not win. I'm sure American fans, you know, ever been to Trinidad? You know, you can go into a game as favourites oh, and lose it, right? Oh, you're going to go there, huh? But you, of course, because oh, you're playing. Well, you're not okay. playing a team you should have beaten and didn't. Oh, okay. You can lose okay. as favourites. Okay. Not only did they win, they won an incredible style and managed the game brilliantly. Did they not? They did. I just find it really fascinating that uh, all of a sudden England fans have a little glimmer of hope in their eyes once again. What's wrong with hope? Can't we feel hope every now and then? The country's on fire right now in let every me tell conceivable you way. Let, let me tell you something, Tom Rennie. If you're a neutral right now, if you have no love whatsoever for any of these Premier League teams, the story is Denmark. The story is not England. And if you wanted a, an unbelievable storyline, you guys would bow out in style and let the Danes run the table to the final. Why would we? Why would we do that? I don't know. There's a little thing called Christian Eriksen. And, and the, England the... have been building to this for the best part of five years. And Christian Eriksen had a tragic accident, which he is okay from. Oh. <laughs> he's okay, which he's okay from. He's okay. He's fine. Right. He's alive. Yeah. <laughs> he's alive, mate. This he he lives. It. It's all about England. Yeah, hey, by the way, it is but, about England because what, what this, Denmark team, should, this, on, this Denmark team would be a great story. If we come England on a week from now, this for years. a week from now, yes. the semifinal will be played. The final will be played on Sunday. We'll yes. be coming in a week from now. Yes. If England does not win it, how devastated will you be right now with the fact that this team has uh, five consecutive shutouts and actually is flying into this game against Denmark? I would be disappointed, very disappointed. That's it. But also, we haven't gone out of the tournament embarrassingly. And, I, you know, maybe it's because, again, this is the national culture that this English team over the years has given us. But to not be embarrassed in itself is a massive win for us. It's a massive win as the soccer nation that we are, the football nation that we are in England, that we keep getting nowhere near the ends of tournaments. And we have done it again. And you can dismiss the Nations League if you want, and you'd be right to do so in some ways. But in the last three years, they've got to the Nations League semis, uh, which they lost, the World Cup semi, which they lost, and now the Euro semi, which they'll probably lose. But they actually are in the conversation. England fans, they do it again. He just spent 20 minutes convincing me why they're going to win. And then he took his legs out. Aren't you just describing what a football fan is right there? (laughs) The positivity and negativity amalgamated. I will say this, though. One thing I didn't enjoy about the England game post was the amount of people doing a Brian Dunseth, which is, where are all of the Kane doubters now, eh? Where's all the Sterling doubters now? And personally, I think it's perfectly acceptable to have thought at the start of the tournament, Sterling and Kane aren't playing well. Should we look at other options? I'm not sure they should play, but now they've gone and played well. Us as fans, outsiders, should then be able to say, you know what? I think you're right, actually. Um, I'm, I'm pleased Sterling played. I'm pleased Kane's in form. It wouldn't have been great for us if they weren't. It annoys me that Alan Shearer and Rio Ferdinand are throwing it back in our faces on national TV when, yeah, you never had any doubts, did you, about Harry Kane at any point? I couldn't find anything of you saying, I'm not sure Kane should be starting, I think, or at least saying, I think he's playing poorly. Yeah. Why, first, why first is this games. whole culture yeah. throwing it back in someone's face when you make a, a perfectly acceptable point? Because it's the know-it-all. It's the know-it-all culture of punditry where you're continuing to try to pontificate that number one, you know more than everyone else. Number two, that, oh, yeah, it's Harry Kane. I mean, part and parcel. He's going to finish everything that comes through. 
by the way, Raheem Sterling has been phenomenal throughout the tournament, in my in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, the, this whole thing about you know over the years of for me this outrageous targeting of Raheem Sterling in the press, I think has been disgusting and absurd. And to see the success that he's had, and I understand this whole idea. Well, he wasn't in top form, and Pep wasn't starting him each and every game. He was only coming in on the big games. Raheem's Raheem, man. He he he's a special special player. He's got traits and assets that very few do. I think the conversation was more about Gareth Southgate and the inability to see the involvement of Harry Kane that we're used to seeing at the domestic level with Spurs week in and week out. And that was a concern. But again, against Ukraine, the moment that they opened up that scoreline four minutes in, you knew, you knew that that was the type of game that was going to open up. And if it opened up, it was going to be in favor of England. And if it Mm -hmm. opened up in favor of England, you knew that Harry Kane was going to get his chances. So, you know, Ukraine wasn't supposed to be here. Ukraine was enjoying the party. And the moment four minutes in that Harry Kane gets his goal, it changes everything. So, Look, we've got to move on to some other bits, but it is worth saying that all of the negativity from me and other people with an English passport, blue passport, well worth it. Um, (laughs) I would say that it comes from all of the many, many, many years of hurt that this football nation has had. And again... All the conversation you're discussing and are seeing secondhand and, and listening from me and, and whatnot, and everyone listening is kind of seen from England. It would change if they did win this tournament because we've all been raised on failure. You don't necessarily get the same thing in Spain and France and Italy. You get a lot of negativity, mm. but you also get, but they come good in the end. But we get a lot of negativity and how are we going to f it up this time? I want to talk a bit about Italy, but of course they knocked out Belgium whose golden generation have gone a bit um, brown now. It, it, it's Does gold it's a, go brown? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What, bananas? No. Uh, bra- brass goes brown. What goes brown? No, brass uh, starts brown and goes green. Rust? Anyway. Rust. Rust. Yes. Tom, it, anybody in the northern bracket, whatever we're calling that bracket, the Italy bracket, the Belgian bracket, that Spanish bracket, that north side of that bracket, it was going to be difficult, right? We knew it was going to be difficult getting to the final. Because the amount of massive, massive teams was going to be a huge challenge for any any national team to make it to the final. Whereas England, the moment that Netherlands were knocked out, had a clear-cut pathway and zero excuses to make it to the final because they weren't going to come into a massive national team matchup against anybody else. Belgium. Roberto Martinez aside... When you talk about style, you talk about substance, you talk about tactics, you talk about identity. This team has had it all. This team has had it all through the last couple of tournaments. And they've done it in a way that if you're neutral, even if you hate them, you want to throw some shade at them, you you almost can't because they're so much fun to watch. They've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world with Thibaut Courtois. They've got experience with Alderweireld and Vertonghen. Even Vermalion somehow makes his way back after the loss of Vincent Company and his historic career. When you think about Alex Witzel and the importance that he's played at the national team level, you throw in Kevin De Bruyne, you throw in Eden Hazard, uh, Romelu Lukaku up top, Dries Mertens. This was rightly so uh, described as a golden generation. But what we've realized is you so eloquently placed at our feet uh, a few minutes ago talking about Scholes and Lampard and Gerrard and Beckham and those guys, just because you have exciting, uh, at, you know, incredible players on the field doesn't mean that it's the God-given right for you to lift trophies. For Roberto Martinez's side, now 
and I understand it's a short turnaround time before the World Cup in Qatar, but these are heavy legs. The, these are heavy legs that have fallen short on two occasions when we were looking at them and saying, do they come in as underdogs? Do they come in as favorites? Are they a team that everyone's afraid of? Absolutely. No one will convince me that looking at this Belgium side, that they're not, that they're not concerned. Italy absolutely was concerned. Portugal absolutely concerned because of the players and the names on the back of the jerseys and how capable they are of being difference makers. But the reality is Romelian's 35. Alderweireld and Vertonghen are 32 and 34. Dries Mertens is 34. Alex Witzel's 32. Kevin De Bruyne is 30. Um, you know, the Hazard brothers, it, it seems more of the influence of Torgan Hazard than Eden Hazard at this point. Uh, so, you know, when it's all said and done, we will describe this Belgian side as one of the most fun generation groups of players that we've seen in a long time. But the reality is, as good as they are, they're going to be judged by the simple fact that they did not win, that they did not win a World Cup, they did not win a Euros. Yeah. And with this short turnaround time before the next World Cup, if Roberto Martinez stays in the job, he's going to have to figure out if he can trust this specific group of players or if he can somehow get the experience of some next generation, younger group of players that can have involvement. I'm not saying De Bruyne and Hazard and everybody's out else is out with the bathwater, but he needs some legs. He needs some, he needs some legs in that back line that also has the head heady experience of yeah. that back three that we saw throughout the tournament. I mean, with Belgium, I think the issue is they should have won the world cup last time out. That was when they were, they were ready. They were peaked. They were prime and they should have won it. And they, and they failed to win it. And, and of course came third beating in the third place playoff in the end, but should have won that world cup. That's when their players were all priming and peaking at the same time. Yeah, yeah. They've gone through to this tournament. They held on for another year to play it, which is to their detriment. Those extra years, 34 to 35, does make a massive, massive difference. Last year, I could climb up the stairs. Now, crawling only. That's all I can do now. The 34 to 35 <laughs> jump is massive. It's just one edge closer to the inevitable early death that I can't wait for at this point. Um, the knees have gone. It's very painful to be me sometimes. Um, but I think that that generation... That generation, sadly, have missed that boat. And I thought that what surprised me in the Italy game is how naive they played. Yeah. You know, they didn't have that kind of, and I'll get to Italy because I want to talk about how much I hate them um, in a minute because I hate them from that performance. It's it, disgusting, I thought. And they should have ended with three players, if that. You know, oh, doesn't Mancini look good? No, garbage. Um, but with Belgium, the issue is they didn't know how to win. And we spoke earlier on about the culture of England and how it would change if they won a tournament. And that's exactly the same with Belgium. They've had a few good teams over the years, not a golden generation, but they've had good teams. They've had good performers. They've had two or three top talents. And that team at its peak did not win a tournament. That goes to England, 2002, 2004, 2006. And it goes to Belgium in 2021. It goes to Belgium in the world cup three years ago, and maybe even the tournament before that as well. They should have won something and didn't do it. If they've won the last World Cup, I feel convinced they would still be in the European Championships now and probably would have gone on to win it because it changes something in your psyche. And that's how Italy won that game. They had the psyche of winners. They had that innate, all of those guys were raised on. I mean, look at how old they are. They were raised on Fabio Cannavaro, 
and, and their incredible yeah, 2006 yeah. victory. You know, that, yeah. this is what they were raised on. This is what they were bred on. And, you know, that generation of players, they, were, they grew up watching, you know, some Baresi in the case of like Chiellini, but some Maldini, you know, this year after year, there's another set of amazing Italian defenders and amazing Italian defensive culture and, you know, outhousery. Yeah. As well. Yeah, yeah. What did these Belgium got? This this is the kind of one, this is the generation you're looking at now, and a new generation of Belgian players are going to be raised on glorious failure. Hmm. And you've got to win to get over that. That's true in club football. It's true of, of national team football. And it's interesting, actually, I thought, against Italy. Their best player was Jeremy Doku, who is, I think, 19. I'd need to double-check that, but he's 19 or 20 years of age, 19. And he didn't have that baggage on him, whereas you felt like some of the others did. And you do get that baggage on you. And you would hope now he doesn't carry that forward. But I think the only way to relieve and alleviate that, that sense of we're not going to win this, which is innate and innate in the culture, yeah. which is why, you know, we, we, we take the mick out of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a lot of Man United, and the word culture, yeah. changing that culture, going back to that culture, embed that culture. And it is a joke until you win. And when you win and you do it off the back of that winning culture, you know, and, and that gets you over the line at vital moments. At the moment, Man U, it's failing, of course. But when if they'd have got over the line, for example, in that Europa League final, you could see all that had led up to it. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a Mourinho fluke. It was a, we built this over a period of time, which yeah. again, yeah. is the whole Southgate thing. It's what Mancini has brought back to Italy and what Belgium don't have. And Roberto Martinez, for all of his, all the positives he's brought to Belgium, that great win over Brazil in the World Cup three years ago and, and the fact that a lot of these players do want to play for him and all of that, has he brought a winning culture with him? Has he changed the culture of Belgian football from top to bottom to get them over the line in these sort of games? Or did they go 2-1 down and they were never going to get back into it? And also, sidebar, two weeks ago, Romelu Lukaku said, I should be up there with Harry Kane and Robert Lewandowski in terms of world-class strikers. Mr. Sitter from two yards out to level the game at 2-2. Harry Kane, don't miss that, pal. Lewandowski, don't miss that, pal. I'm sorry, you are where you are, top of the second tier, and that's where you belong. Can I talk about Italy with you for a minute? Oh, because I loved, I loved, yeah. I knew course. you loved it. You're I excited knew, about this, yeah. I knew you loved yep, it. Yep, yep. I thought the way they played against Belgium was nothing short of disgusting. What? I thought the way they played, what? it was sickening, and people around what? the world are like, Oh, look at this tremendous outhousery. Mm. Look at the way they managed their way to victory. The way they were diving and cheating and time wasting. Oh, and, okay. and the, um, I mean, the goal is obviously the most famous example. Immobile is down. He's down. Oh, he's mobile again. He's up because Barella's shot went in. Cl claiming and screaming for a penalty until which point the ball flew in the back of the net and he's okay again. Later in the game, you know, there was an interesting point and quite funny. Uh, Thibaut Courtois' sister was in the crowd. And she was in the crowd right in front of where Spinazzola went down. And she tweeted or Instagram at the time. This is what we call tricks of the trade with a live video of Spinazzola being down. Of course, he's done his Achilles and he's out for seven months. But she's right because for the rest of the game, there was the player who, when De Bruyne was going to take a free kick, it might have been Berardi. He was standing six yards away. And then yeah. when the free kick was actually taken, he charged it down to two yards. and was like, what, what? They're all going down. They're crying. They're pleading. And it, this is cheating. And the referee was weak uh, and he was pathetic and they knew that they could manipulate this referee. They looked at him and thought, well, he's a mug. So he's a mug. So let's, let's mug him off and get away to the end of the game. 
And I've got a serious point on this because I know some people love it and some people don't. Personally, I thought that a strong referee would look at this and be like, no, that's a yellow. You're cheating. That's cheating. Why was Immobile not booked for what he did during the goal? Personally, I'd have sent him off for, for, for cheating. But you know, the, that wouldn't be within the spirit of the game, the rules of the game. But you can be booked for simulation. That was simulation. It should have been a yellow card. But here's my more serious point on this. Yeah, give it to me. Christian Eriksen died in this tournament. He died for a period of minutes on the field of play. And, I mean, I don't know if they have a translation of The Boy Who Cried Wolf in Italy, but maybe they should read it. Maybe they should translate it. Maybe some of these Italians should understand the concept of The Boy Who Cried Wolf because someone actually died here in this tournament. And what if we treated him like we treated all these Italians who are, can we trust if he's down? That could have cost vital seconds in treatment. That could have cost vital seconds in giving CPR to somebody because you can't trust players. You know they're going to lie. You know they're dishonest. Italy were fundamentally dishonest in the way they managed that game to the end. And until you take that out of the game, which I think you can't because it's so ingrained in the culture of football at this point, but you should be, you should be looking at yourself thinking, in this tournament, someone got a serious injury. Someone passed away. Our player's out for seven months. And stuff happened here. Do I really want to fake being injured here? You know, we're having this massive debate about concussion in football and players now, and they are doing it, and I won't accept any argument they're not. When they think there's a break on, they'll pretend that a shoulder injury is a head injury to stop the game. And that, my friends, should be punishable in post by a long-term ban. Immobile for faking an injury, that's the kind of stuff a VAR should be picking up on. You should say, mate, Scored a goal. Don't disallow the goal. But you know that striker? Yeah, he pretended to... I'm on the phone here. You can't see this, listeners, but I'm pretending to be on the phone for some reason. I'm sure they've got a more sophisticated system. They probably don't. But, <laughs> but he's, he's on... He said, you know the striker? Yeah, he wasn't injured. Yeah, he was faking it. Clearly faking it. Book him. Yeah, that's uh, deception. Deliberate you, deception. You, you Tom Rennie, are out of your mind. You are out of your mind. Why? Now, the fact that you invoked the Christian Eriksen situation is blowing it so much further out of proportion than it needs to be blown. How is it? Because listen, if we can't dark, trust, if we can't arts, trust footballers, the dark arts have been around since the beginning of sport. And by the way, it's bled into all the other sports. It's bled into football. It's bled into baseball. It's bled into the NBA. Watch NBA any weekend. The amount of people that are flailing and looking for calls that a hundred percent drawing fouls, leaning into people oh, after they take a shot. Football, soccer itself. As much as soccer, though, as much as this, as much as this sport, there can't Tim, be Tim, any other sport that flops no. like this. Yes or no? NBA. How close would you say it's the closest sport it could possibly be to the dark arts? See, yep, that's the thumbs. We got. That's the up. bouncy one. That's the bouncy one. The two hand yeah. bouncy one. Never watched hole. it. Sounds terrible. Through the hole Carry with on. the net. Manipulation of the game. There's games within the games within the games, and anybody that refuses to acknowledge it is incredibly naive. And if you do not realize, and by the way, your English team does it as much as anybody else does it. Don't think for a second that understanding spatial awareness and sectors on the field doesn't come into play with trying to draw fouls as well as manipulating the referee. But you're making, you're, you're, you're making a, an opposing a, point to a point I'm not making. No, I'm not the, making you, that point. You're saying I'm not that, that. You're saying, no, you're saying that players should be punished post they should. Case, of mass because of why should Immobile get away with that? Why should Immobile get, get, get away with pretending to be injured in order to manipulate a did penalty? They call, did they did they call a penalty? 
they didn't call a penalty. No, but okay. he, he well, stayed down and pretended to because he stayed down and tried to get one through clear cheating. You know it was cheating. Can the I tell the ball you the how many net, times players are on the ground and they're well, not hurt? Okay, Harry Maguire getting upended. Oh, as he got bumped from underneath. Yeah, he, but, from there, no, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Should there Harry Maguire be sent off because he there was a difference here between the there is a clear. I think there's a clear difference here oh. in what I'm talking about between. Unfortunately, we're in a situation where if you get tripped, you need to spin in the air because referees are idiots and they don't give clear free kicks or they just can't keep up with play. But that's what video replays are meant to be for. For some reason, that doesn't work as well as it should do. So getting a kick and then saying, yeah. oh, I've been kicked, make sure you can see it. I, I have my problems with it, but I can grow to accept it. But pretending you're injured to such a degree as Immobile did the other day yeah. in a tournament where we've had serious, serious injury and he and Come the game on, had moved on. on. No, the game had moved on and he oh. had stayed down because he was... Until he realized, so, yeah, until he realized the ball the, was in the back of the so net. he had to see the pretense through. Is, is your boy Harry Kane all right? Or Harry uh, Maguire all right after getting hip-checked off the ball? When uh, was this? What are you talking about? You and then he sat I down and complained about the decision, and then he got up again and took the free kick. Or did he stay down <laughs> for like two I minutes until anything. someone took a shot? Why did you bump me off the ball? It's not the same thing. It's not the of same thing. It, listen, the dark arts, you're super naive if you don't like you can invoke. No, Christian. you're super you can, naive. You can invoke, no, no, no. You can no. invoke Christian you're Erickson su- as much all as you this, want. Like, the the reality heart. is that the game continues to move on. And in the back of their mind, the only Fine. thing no, that you know they're what? You looking make your point. for for any serious point. type of injury. If you want the game is, to move on without this sort of stuff, yeah. you need to accept the dark arts are a thing. 100%. But don't just accept that that's the life that you lead. Oh, the dark arts are a thing so we move on. You know Luis how you Suarez? stop it? You know have how we, you stop it? Have we accepted you know how you stop it? The VAR goes, yeah, he's definitely che- tried to cheat there. You should book him. And he books him. And then later on, he can't do another dive because he's been booked for Clearing simulation. And simulation, simulation is an offense in football. It is oh. in the rules as an offense to simulate you have been fouled or injured uh-huh. and they don't do anything about it. And that's why the Italians were able to <laughs> house their way so to victory Sterling, over Belgium. Raheem Sterling. Jack Grealish. Stop naming players. Yes, they all do it. Harry okay. Kane, Raheem Sterling, Jack Grealish, the biggest diver in the game. <laughs> okay. Michael Owen dived in 2002 yeah. to get us a penalty against Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. Not about your passport, you yeah. brick. It's I, the fact that everybody does it. I'm saying, exactly. And it should be stopped. It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable that everybody does it. Why do you hate the Italians so because much? Because they're the most recent example of a team that did it to such a degree that everyone's <laughs> like, oh, what an amazing game. It was an amazing game. It was crap. It was a crap game. It was because amazing they because they beat Belgium. They beat the golden They decided not to Belgium. play football anymore. They decided to go, Are you oh, surprised well, at that? Football. Are you surprised at that? You, um, you literally, when you were talking you about be, Italy, when you, you were talking about Italy, you are talking about that the, the winning culture that was created that sees them in this tournament. By the way, don't forget, this is the same team that failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. They're a good team. They haven't got to do it. Exactly. They're good, yeah. good players, good footballers. They don't need to do this. The tactical they do this mouse, because the high fives of defensive, you know, like I've never seen a team. I've never seen a team. Emila loves this. I've never seen a team like give bones to each other, like high five each other for literally kicking a ball out for a corner. But because that's not the same the thing as I'm talking about. No, that's I'm not the saying same thing. Th- this is this Italian team is based on the DNA of we are going to beat you. However, we need to beat you. We are going to keep the ball out of the back of our net. However, we need to keep the ball out of the back of the net. And going forward, if we're going to play the game within the game, which is within the game, 
dark arts is absolutely in their back pocket. Just like but if you are going 99%. to feign injury and you're in a time now where we're talking seriously about the health and welfare of players, if players come out and say, you know, health and welfare must come first, then also they need to find a way to eradicate this fakery from their own game. <laughs> Otherwise, good luck with your concussions. Good luck with your art attacks. Good luck with your broken legs. Good luck with your Achilles issues. We're going to play on because it's not acceptable. There you go. That's my point. And I thought, brilliantly made. Did you call me a prick? Somewhere in there. Accurate. Well, that was this week's Week in the Tackle. Abusive episode, but I enjoyed it. At least not in the same room. That's the important thing. Uh, next week, when we record the programme, either England have, have won the European Championships or um, we will never speak of this again. So we look forward to finding out which of those realities we're in in a week's time. Um, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. A Week in the Taco is also available on the SXM app. Free for most subscribers of SiriusXM. Just download it today and tap podcast for video clips of the show and more. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram at SiriusXMFC. And someone, please, find my shirt. Sent two people to Columbus and they brought back nothing, not even a lousy T-shirt. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is produced by Tim Horsey. The executive producer is Pete Corey. Sound design was by Joey DeFazio. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM FC's program director, Joe Tolleson. SiriusXM Podcasts.